tonight in James, if you will, chapter 5. We're moving right along in James chapter 5. Begin reading, if we can, at verse 7 through 12. James 5, 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful uh, and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. I think the thing tonight we'll look at is this virtue we call patience. Patience is something like the boy said, I need patience and I need it right now. Patience indeed is a virtue, and patience is also a mark of spiritual maturity. We've said the entire book of James, we built upon the fact that the whole premise is, he's talking about, is maturity. We go through trials and tests to bring forth maturity. We go through tribulation to bring through, uh, forth uh, maturity. Uh, we go through all kinds of things, uh, battles to bring forth maturity. And we've talked about that up to this point. James was still addressing a church that was suffering. That's why he said to be patient. In James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, he talked about patience at the very beginning of the book. Now we come to the end of the, of the book of James, and he's still talking about patience here as well. May I remind you, if you are suffering, you must be patient. If you're going through trials and tests, we must be patient. If we're going through battles, we must be patient. Because if we indeed are impatient while we're going through, we're going to make mistakes. And the impatience that we have can often be a tool of the enemy of our soul to sow discord among the brethren, uh, to throw a monkey wrench into the cogs of God's progression that he wants to make for the church. And sometimes we go around the same old mountain over and over again, simply because we did not learn the first time what God desired to teach us. Now understand, God is not going to right all wrongs in this world. The wrongs that has happened to many of us cannot be taken care of until we get to the world that is coming. Notice, if you will, three times in this section tonight, in James chapter 5, 7, 8, and 9, he reminds us of the coming of the Lord. Praise God, the blessed hope, that is the hope that we have as a child of God. Uh, we want God to come and do things for us now. Well, He does a lot for us right now. But we don't expect to have everything easy in this world. And we should expect to have everything comfortable in this world. And we should never expect to have a battle or trial or test in this world. That's unheard of. I don't care how spiritual somebody claims to be. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, we must through much tribulation enter into into the kingdom of God. Therefore we must wait we must wait patiently and endure patiently upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's then and only then that all wrongs will be made right for our good and for the glory of God. Now James used two different words in this section for patience. If you look with me in, in verses 7, 8, and 10, the word that he used here for patient uh, basically is long-tempered, or shall we say long-suffering. And then if you look in uh, 
uh, the words endurance patience in verse 11 literally mean to remain under and speak of endurance under great stress. Patience, by and large, means to stay put, to stand fast, when it would be easier to run away. Patience means stay put, stand fast, when it would be much easier to run away. Many Greek scholars think that long-suffering has reference in respect to people. But the word endurance, by means of patience, has respect to situations, to conditions, and circumstances. So what I think he's trying to say here, we need to be long-suffering toward people through trials, tests, and battles. We need to endure unto the end when it comes to circumstances and situations and conditions that we ourselves do not like. I don't know about anybody that likes to go through trials, tests, and tribulation, but it must be before we can enter in to the kingdom of God. But the question must be answered is this, how can we as Christians experience this kind of long-suffering with people and this kind of endurance against circumstances and situations as we wait upon the Lord Jesus Christ to return. I believe James answers that for us in this section. He answers it by the illustration of a farmer. He answers it by illustration of the prophets. And he answers it by illustration of Job himself. Let's look first of all at the farmer in verses 7 through 9. If any man is impatient, you will never be a farmer. I have worked the farms a lot in my life. And Lord willing, I'm going to go to Virginia and work them again in a few days or weeks, whatever. But if you're impatient, you'll never be a farmer. If you want to start farming, you've got to first of all clear a land. That means you might take down trees. That means you've got to dig up stumps. That means you've got to plow. That means you've got to get rid of rocks. That means you've got to get rid of, uh, of, of roots. That means all kinds of things. And then even after you've cleared all the land and you now have a, a, a garden, I have gardened the same garden for 15 years. And every year there's more rocks to get out of it. And there are more, stu- there are more uh, roots to get. I don't know how they come from, but they're there. You have to do all that, and then you've got to take the time uh, to put your rows in, you plant your seeds, and then if there's too much rain, your crops are going to rot. If there's not enough rain as for a farmer, uh, then their crops are going to burn up, and then you've got the early frost. Are you aware it snowed in my hometown today of Virginia? If they had their potatoes out and they were blooming, they'd probably be gone today. So there's a lot to gardening. And then once you begin to plant the crops, somebody's got to go hoe and get the weeds out. You've got to fertilize. You've got to dust. You've got to get the bugs off. It's never ending when it comes to farming. And you don't plant the seed today and sit there drinking lemon and say, well, tomorrow we're going to have potatoes and next day we're going to have beans. It don't work that way at all. We've got to be patient with the seed and with the crop. And it takes time to plant and it takes time to grow. Now Jewish farmers would plow and sow in the autumn, what the months we would call autumn. They would wait on the former rains to come. And then somewhere around the spring, around February or March, whatever, not really spring, February, March, uh, they'd wait for the latter rains to come and then they would be able to bring forth the fruit. Why were they willing to wait so long because according to verse 7 the fruit is precious the harvest is worth the wait because the fruit that comes from it is a precious commodity Uh, Paul said in due season we reap if we faint not Jesus said uh, for the earth produces crops by itself first the blade then the head uh, then the mature grain in the head but when the crop permits he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come Now, James is trying to say here for something to us. He pictures the Christian, you and I, as being spiritual farmers, and we are attempting to bring forth a spiritual crop. The soil 
is, how do I put this? The soil is the Word of God. And the seed, or the seed rather, is the Word of God. And the soil uh, itself uh, is uh, uh, our hearts. Let me do it again. Our hearts is the soil, and the seed is the Word of God. But notice what he said here in verse 8. But ye also be patient, establish your hearts. That's very important. Our hearts must be established. Our hearts are the soil, the seed is the Word of God. Now there are seasons in our spiritual life where our hearts become very wintry. They become very hard, very cold, very callous. You ever been there? And what happens, God has to plow up that old hard heart so that seed can be sown. And then God will send the rain and God will send the sunshine of his goodness that causes that, soul, that seed within the heart of our soul to begin to sprout and to bring forth a harvest. But we've got to wait. And this is where patience comes in. That's what he's trying to tell us. You've got to be patient because when the seed is planted, it's got to take root, it's got to germinate, and the goodness of God will cause it to bring forth a harvest. Now, you can only enjoy that kind of harvest if your heart is established. That's what he's saying. One of the purposes of the, of the spiritual life of the church is to produce spiritual maturity in your life and mine. We're here tonight trying to give you the Word of God through teaching. That that Word of God, that seed is going into a heart that has been prepared to receive it. But if we're here tonight thinking about going home and watching something on TV, if we're here tonight thinking about what we've done all day long, if we were thinking about, boy, I sure wish I'd have got that hamburger before I came to church, our hearts are becoming hard and cold and callous for real or not, and that seed is going here and bouncing right back. And one of the reasons that we don't endure trials and tests many times, not you, we, is because we've not received that word that will bring forth a precious harvest for the good of the church, for the glory of Christ, Jesus Christ's name. We are spiritual farmers looking for a harvest. So instead of being impatient with God in trials and tests, instead of being impatient with other people during trials and tests, instead of being impatient with ourselves during the trials and tests, may we yield ourselves to to the Almighty God Himself, and I'll allow Him and permit Him to let the harvest, the fruit grow within our lives. Now, you can enjoy this kind of harvest only if your heart's established. With that being said, one of the purposes that Paul had in sending Timothy to the church of Thessalonica was that he might bring faith in that Christian group that they might mature. Paul himself said that he prayed for the church of Thessaloniki that their heart might be established in the things of God. The ministry of the word and prayer are important if a heart is going to be established for God. Hear me, a heart that's not established cannot bear fruit. A heart that's not established cannot bear fruit. Now you might grow something in a garden if it's not been established. Only thing you grow overnight in a garden is weeds. That's the only thing I never had a problem with, growing weeds. You can spray them, you can cut them, you never think they're going to come back. I always was that way when it comes to the things of God, but not. Keep in mind, the farmer does not stand around all, all day long doing nothing. He's constantly moving. He's constantly working. And the fact that we are to do a spiritual harvest, let me remind you, the Lord does not expect us to sit on a mountain somewhere draped in a white robe, a sipping on lemonade saying, okay, we're not going to do a cotton picking thing until the Lord comes back. The farmer is always working in spite of the obstacles, waiting for the Lord return. I remind you, he said something here to me that's also very strange. He said, keep working and waiting. Blessed is, Jesus said, blessed is the servant 
whom the Lord, his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him doing. No farmer gets in fights with his neighbors. Most of the times in youth of the mountains, most of the time we help each other in farms. We help each other in the gardens. Why? Because we know the sacrifices that we're all putting in this thing together. Nobody on the farm has the time or the energy to fight with his neighbor. And I believe he's trying to tell us here through this, as Christians, we don't have time to fuss and to feud with our neighbors. Don't grumble against each other, brethren, or you will be judged, he says in verse 9. Impatient with God often leads us to impatience with God's people. And if we're taking the sickle and we're chopping down each other, we'll never have enough of the time of the sickle to chop down the harvest when it comes. Amen? The prophets in verse 10. Take my brethren, the prophets, we have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering. An example of what? Suffering, affliction, and of patience. A Jewish congregation to whom Paul or to whom James was writing would understand the analogy given from the prophets. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he also used the prophets as an example of men and even women that endured tremendous persecution, but they kept on keeping on because they had a goal in sight. I am so appalled today at the number of professing Christians that they are not enduring on for the Lord because of some upheaval within their life. Anybody ever heard of John Piper? John Piper is a theologian, a Reformed theologian. I think he's retired now. I don't agree with all his writings, but he's a man of God. His son has gone sour. He, he's come out and written a lot of things about how it was wrong to be raised in the home of an evangelical. He seems to be very anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-Christian. He uses a lot of choice words, and I know that embarrasses his father and family. But something has burnt him of Christianity. And now he's, just as his father has millions of followers on the internet, his son now has almost the equal amount of people following him for the opposite reasons. And there are many people who've been hurt in church, burned in church, hurt by somebody. They're like these little plants. I talked about a moment ago, the first frost will kill them, and now they're bitter. Let me tell you something, friends. We have got to have a faith in God that no matter what somebody says, what somebody does, what God didn't do that we thought he should happens to us, we've got to have the patience to endure and to go on. Because if all we had in this world is hope, we're men and women that are most miserable. So what I'm trying to say tonight, we can learn a lesson from these prophets who suffered much, but they continued to endure because they knew the final analysis. This home, this, he this world was not their home. They were, they were not citizens of earth going to heaven. They were citizens of heaven passing through this earth, and they were making their sojourn here. May God put eternity in our hearts. And may we be like the farmer, say, I'm going to continue to work in spite of what comes my way. And like the prophets, I'm going to continue to witness regardless of what people say against me. And I think that's what we learn from these people. Now, what do we learn about the example of the prophets? For one thing, they were in the will of God, yet they suffered. The prophets were in the will of God, and yet they suffered. They were preaching in the name of the Lord, and they were persecuted. Many times Satan tells you, you're suffering, you're going through this because of your unbelief, and because you are unrighteous. You have sinned, and that's why you're going through all the pain and suffering that you're in right now. That's why God's not answering your prayer. Have you ever been there? 
And that is a lie. The fact that you are suffering, the fact that you are battling, could very well be because you are in the will of God. That was the way it was for these people, the prophets. Yea, all that will live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. We must not think that obedience will automatically produce disease and pleasure. Jesus Christ was obedient to the letter of the law, and he still went to the cross. Now, friend, that's suffering. That's suffering. But he endured the end, did he not? The Bible said, despising the shame, he endured the cross until he didn't die for his sins. He died for yours and mine. The prophets also encourage us by reminding us that God cares for us when we go through suffering for his sake. Remember this, Elijah was used of God to bring down King Ahab. There was drought in the land. Ahab and all of Israel experienced the drought, but so did Elijah. But yet God took care of Elijah, and God used Elijah uh, to destroy all the prophets of Baal. And God took care of the man. God cared enough for him. He gave him victory over that. The will of God will never lead us, where the grace of God will not keep us. The will of God will never take us, where the presence of God will ever leave us. And even in the trials of life, we may be directly in the will of God. All hell can come against us, and we want to run. But remember the word here in the Greek for patience there is endurance, that we can endure during circumstances that are not pleasing, endure through situations that are not great, endure through times that we don't know what we're doing. Having done all to stand, you stand, therefore. And I believe that's the kind of faith that we're going to have to have in this last day. And I believe that's the kind of faith that God desires to give unto us. Notice this also, we can learn from the prophets. That many of the prophets had to endure great trials and sufferings, not only at the hands of unbelievers, but sometimes at the hands of professing believers. It was Joseph who was despised by his own flesh and blood brothers, sold into slavery. It was Joseph who was lied about when he was doing the best work he probably could in the house of Potiphar. It was Joseph who was thrown into prison to rot away. It was Joseph who was forgotten. And during those 13 years or so, as a young teenage boy, he endured. Why? Because God made him a promise. And the promise that God made him was not coming to pass. The promise was here, but he was going 180 degrees away from it every year, deeper and deeper and further and further away from the promise. But what kept him? From the time he received the word, the word of God tried him. But he knew God, and he knew God's word. And he said, you know what? I'm in Potiphar's house. I'm going to be the best man in this house to clean and whatever he has to do. I'm in jail. I'm going to be the best, I'm going to be the best, best guy in this jail they've ever seen. He remained, maintained and remained with a proper attitude and in due time God's word came to pass. He suffered. Notice Jeremiah. Jeremiah was thrown into jail into a well and they accused the home brethren accusing him of being a traitor and they killed him. But God fed him. God brought him out and God took care of him. We read about Daniel, we read about Ezekiel. Look what these guys went through. The suffering they went through, and they were right in the will of God, and the suffering they went through. But yet they had a faith that endured during it all. And even those that were not delivered, who died in the faith, there are many of them. But they received a special reward from God. Why is it that those who speak in the name of the Lord often must endure trials? You ever thought about it? You, you're in the will of God. Why do you go through the, through the trial? You want me to tell you why I believe? 
Because I believe God wants us to back up our words with our life. He wants us to back up our message by our living. And it's one thing to say God is good. It's another thing to praise God for being good when we're going through trials. It's one thing to be out on the, uh, be, be out, you know, clear of the, the jailhouse praising God. But when you're in prison on the inside, like Paul and Silas in stocks and bonds, and you can still praise God, that's letting your light shine. It's one thing to say, God gave me a promise. You brethren bow down before me like Joseph did only to find himself in a prison house going, you know what, God? I got this old bucket mouth going up here and this hole underneath my nose just got me in trouble. But I still believe you're God and your promises are true. I'm going to praise you in spite of it. You see, our testimony, when it backs up the word we believe and the word we preach, is a powerful tool. And there are times we look for supernatural power to be manifested. And many times it's being manifested by the life we live and we're not even aware of it. Are you with me? I think sometimes God does things with us and through us and among us that we may not even be aware of just simply because we are being faithful in hard, difficult times of suffering. And God's getting glory in your life and you're not even aware of it. That's why it's important. We need to remind ourselves that our patience in times of suffering is a testimony, a powerful testimony to people that are around us. But have not many Christians died, suffered at the hands of enemies, suffered at the hands of, of, of persecutors, and people didn't even know who they were? Absolutely. There's a lot of unknown, unrecorded, unsung heroes in the Bible. As a matter of fact, you read in Hebrews 11, at the very beginning of the faith chapter, you see faith waiting, faith worshiping, faith working, faith winning. And we have all those men that are named. Moses and Noah, and the list goes on and on. Abraham, and the list goes on and on. But then you get down the latter part of Hebrews 11, and there were some more that they didn't see their dead raised. They didn't see, uh, they, were, they were cut in two, they were sawn asunder, their prayers were not answered. Uh, they died having not fulfilled the word of God, was not fulfilled in their life. And yet the Bible said the world is not worthy of those people. The ones in the beginning of Hebrews 11, they had a faith that escaped. But the ones in the latter of Hebrews 11, they had a faith that endured. Who has the greatest faith? Those that escape or a faith that endures? I think a faith that endures. And there's a lot of unsung heroes that have gone through severe persecution. Their name was not recorded in the Bible. Their names were not on Fox News or CNN. We may never know who they are. The deaths, they died, the way they died, the pain and they went through. I'll tell you one thing. They made headlines in glory because they faithfully endured not until the end, but they faithfully endured unto the end. And as a result, thank God, the prophets were killed and buried. Their names were honored. But our Lord comes again. He will bring his reward with him, according to Revelation 22. Praise God. Now, the example that James used in the Old Testament prophets ought to encourage you and ought to encourage me to spend more time in the Word of God learning about these guys. I mean, man, they can be great examples. I, I, I've been reading Ezekiel. I don't know what this guy was made out of. You get down and you study Ezekiel. This guy, I mean, he's hearing from God all over the place. And the things that God sent him to do makes no sense whatsoever. Every time, son of dust, son of dust. Do this, do that. And he does it. No questions asked. And it sounds ridiculous sometimes. He was laughed at. He was ostracized. His own wife even was killed. And the list goes, but he was faithful to do what God asked him to do. 
I want to read about these guys. I can learn. You know why? For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 15.4. Now, the better we know the Bible, the more God can encourage us in times of suffering, times of trial, times of test, and times of tribulation. With that being said, the important thing is that, like the farmer, we keep working. Like the prophet, we keep witnessing, no matter what trying circumstances may come our way. Finally, he talks about Job in verse 11. And as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. And the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You cannot persevere until you have trials in life. You and I will never have a victory until we've had a battle. We will never be on a mountaintop until we've gone through a valley. And we will never understand the blessings of God in totality until we've carried a burden. Think about this for a moment. I heard a guy once, I read a story about a young man. He loved the Lord and he prayed, Oh God, I want to know the depths of your word. I want to know your heartbeat. And God, I want to be caught up into heaven to behold the glimpses of your glory, and et cetera, et cetera. Man, what a worthy prayer. But did the kid know what he was praying? No. Why? Paul was caught up into the third heaven. And he saw things that mortal eyes should not have seen and heard things that mortal ear apparently should not have heard. And he came back and God had to, plant to, him, had to grant in him a thorn in the flesh lest he be exalted. Lest he be exalted. Had to keep him humble. May I remind you, with all in my heart, I believe this. God has to balance privilege with responsibility. God has got to balance blessing with burden, or else we end up being spoiled, pampered, irritated children of God. When do the blessings come? In the midst of our trials, in the midst of our sufferings. The three Hebrew children, if you recall, in the midst of the fiery furnace. But James taught us that the blessings will come after we have endured. And that's why he used Job as an example. The blessings of Job came after he endured, after he suffered. That's what James is telling us. The book of Job is long, chapter on top of chapter of tiguous different types of detail. We in the eastern and in the western and the eastern part of the world here, where we're at in the western mind, rather, we seem like it's a long book. It's it, it, it sometimes it just belabors. We don't understand it all. But if you notice the first three chapters of Job, talk about Job's distress. Job lost his wealth. Job lost his family, except for his wife, and she said, "Would you just curse God and die?" And Job lost all of his health. That's in the first three chapters. In chapters four through thirty-one, we read of Job's defense. He debates with his three friends. They accuse him of wrongdoing. He said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And then if you look, if you will, in Job uh, chapters 38 through 42, we see Job's deliverance. God, if you will, humbled Job. And then God honored Job. And that's what we see. Now, you study the experience of Job. It's important to remember. Job went through something that he himself didn't understand what was going on. He didn't understand what was going on behind the scenes. There was a battle going on between, Job, between God and Satan. It was almost like Job was the pawn in their hand, like a tennis ball back and forth. Job wasn't even aware of that. 
And yet, when you and I are going through things, we don't always understand what it is we're going through. We don't always understand the purpose of God. His ways are past finding out. But I'm here to tell you, if you and I will just be faithful, if we'll just be patient with people and endure problems and circumstances and situations, God some way will turn that thing out to be a blessing when it's all over with. But if we bail out beforehand, we'll miss the blessing. Well, preacher, I'd just soon not have the blessing and not go through that. Well, are you, is he our Lord or not? You know, is he our Lord or not? Notice, if you will, the Job's three friends said, you're a sinner, Job. There's got to be some trouble sin in your life. Or God would never permit this kind of suffering. Job disagreed with him. Job said, I'm not a perfect man, but I'm not here floating around in sin either. As a result of that, the friends were wrong. God had no case against Job. The friends had no case against Job. God had no case against Job. And God rebuked the friends for telling lies about Job and planting the, the negativity and darkness in his mind. It's difficult to find a greater example of patience and endurance in suffering than this man called Job. Job was ostracized and hated by Satan. Job was ostracized and judged by his friends. Job was ostracized by his nagging wife. Job was even ostracized in some way by God. Why is that? He cried out to God for help and God didn't even intervene. Have you considered the patience of Job? You ever called out and cried out to God from heaven and heaven was silent? You ever gone through things you didn't understand? You cried to God and say, God, please answer. And in heaven's brass, I said, God, one time I said, Lord, if there's a throne of grace, there's a lock on it. If there's a throne of mercy, now they've taken that thing down to polish it up this week because you ain't there. And I have prayed, God, whatever it is, I don't understand it, but let me maintain my integrity. God, I still believe in you. Faith is what you got when the feeling's gone. <laughs> I say faith is all you got left when your feeling is gone. And remember Job. Job endured. Now Satan predicted that Job would get impatient with God. He said, Job, he'll abandon his faith in you. He'll give up. It's true that Job questioned the will of God like any of us would, but he never gave up on God. Job could say, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Job was sure that even though God was not listening, or he didn't feel like God was listening to him right now, he said, I'm going to argue my case with God. Why do you do that? Because he endured. Can you imagine the pain that this one man went through? It's hard enough to have one funeral of a family member a year. But could you imagine bearing three kids at one time? Can you imagine losing all of the wealth and all of the health that you had in one day? Can you imagine? And then to have people, think about this. He lost the fruit of his body, his children. He lost the means to sustain his body through his wealth. And he lost his own health to his own body. And his friends accuse him, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And the devil right there going, come on, boy. Keep on telling him. Keep on putting him down. Curse God, Job. Curse God, Job. You're a fool. But Job endured. Can you imagine? If we can use Job as an example of enduring during terrible circumstances, and he didn't have the entirety of God's Word. Job was one of the first books of the Bible written, but he knew his God. How much more can we today, and should we today, that no matter what kind of trials and tests and tribulation come, no matter what suffering come, we should be able to endure. Because we know our God rules and reigns, and we will be blessed 
when this suffering has come to an end. God made a covenant with Israel that he would bless them if they obeyed him and kept his word. Now this led to the idea that if you were wealthy and comfortable, ah, you're in the blessings of God and his will. But if you were poor and uncomfortable, you've been cursed of God. And yet that's the idea that the people had. But Jesus, said, uh, to the, when the Jesus said to the difficult for a rich man in heaven, the disciples were shocked and they said, who then can be saved? If the rich are especially blessed of God, they'll say, if they can't make it, nobody can. So the book of Job refers to this idea. For Job was a righteous man, yet he suffered. Job was a righteous man. He was in the will of God, and yet he suffered. Satan couldn't find anything to accuse him of. The friends really found no sin within his life. God found no sin within his life. Job's experience paved the way for Jesus Christ, who himself was righteous and holy, and yet he died upon the cross, not for his sins, but he suffered for you and me. Job paved the way for that. And suffering. And what happened when Jesus died? My Lord, you talked about a blessing that followed. In Job's case, the end, the purpose of the Lord to reveal himself as full of pity and tender mercy. I thank God that he's a God of power. I thank God that he's a God of grace and a God of love. But I'm grateful I can know him as a God of tender pity and care. A God who can pick me up in his shoulders and carry me in his arms and hold me close as a 65-year-old man and say, Son, I love you. God, or Job met God in a brand new way, in a deeper way. And after that, Job received powerful blessings from the Lord. But if God's so merciful, somebody said, Pastor, why does he allow us to, to go through suffering? Why did he allow that endurance to perfect Job? I don't have the answer to all that. I know one thing, when Job came through what he came through, God was glorified. Job was perfected even greater. And Satan received a black eye. And the three friends learned something from God himself. What did Job's story mean to the believers of James? He wrote to, what's it mean for us today? It means, first of all, that some of the trials and sufferings we go through can be instigated by Satan himself. Satan, people, I don't believe in the devil. Well, he believes in you. And he comes to rob, and he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. He's an adversary. Every time his mouth moves, he's telling you a lie. What he tells you about God's alive, or what he tells God about you is probably the truth. But one thing we must learn, God, Satan can only have so much rule and so much reign within our life. He cannot touch a hair on your head without the permission of God. So remember this, when you're in the furnace, God always keeps his hand up on the thermostat, and he will never let us go through more than what we're able to handle with him. There are times I say, God, apparently you have more faith in me than I do in you right now, because this is hurting my flesh bad. This is weighing on my spirit heavy. This is pulling on my heartstrings abundantly. But then I remember the patience of Job. I say, well, God, if he can go through it, tighten up that puckering belt and let's keep on going for the glory of God. The Bible said, he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Satan wants us to be impatient with God. 
He wants us to be impatient with ourselves, and he wants us to be impatient with our powerful man. You know why? Impatience is a powerful weapon in the hand of the devil. Impatient Christians is a powerful weapon in the hand of Satan. Remember, Moses is impatient. He never got to enter the promised land. Abraham was impatient, and today we have trouble in the Middle East because of Ishmael. Hmm? Peter was impatient and almost killed a man. Impatience can be a tool in the hand of the enemy of our soul. When Satan attacks us, it's easy to get impatient and run ahead of God and lose God's blessing as a result. So what's the answer? As Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you. That's it. My grace is sufficient for you. But is it really? We want grace in something else. Have we really learned the grace of God? These are mighty pretty words, Pastor. What does it mean? The grace of God. It's during that time when I can't. I say, Lord, I can't, but you can in me. Jesus, stand up on the inside of me right now. Holy Spirit of God, give me a boldness. Give me a power. Give me faith to read your word, to study it, to believe it, and speak to my heart that I might grow by it. And I can stand in the fiery furnaces of life knowing my Redeemer lives. And friend, that's more than pretty words. When you stand for the Lord, he will stand for you. Amen. And I believe that. Paul could have fought, could have fought the, the thorn of the flesh. He could have given up under it. He could have done all kinds of things. But he said, the grace of God is sufficient for me. And when you find yourself in the furnace, <laughs> go to the throne of grace and receive the power, the mind of God, the presence of God, the peace of God. Remind yourself that the Lord is gracious. He's got a purpose in mind for this trial. Satan may have instigated it, God can control it. Life may have instigated it, God can control it. Please understand that. Now the exhortation in verse 12 seems to be out of the place. Talking about speaking oaths here. What's that got to do with the problem of suffering? Well, if you suffered, you know the answer. It's easy to say things you don't mean. Them old greasy words just slide out of your mouth sometimes, don't they? You swear oaths, I'll never do that again, I'll do that again. We've all been there. Job said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job didn't curse. Job did curse the day he was born. But he did not curse God for being born. Neither did he try to bargain with God. Now I think that James can remind us of the teaching of the Lord in Matthew 5, 34-37. The Jews were great people for using various oaths to back up their statements. They were careful not to use the name of God in their oaths, lest they blaspheme the Lord. So they would swear by heaven, they'd swear by earth, or they would swear by Jerusalem, or even they would swear by their heads. Well, if you swear by heaven, that's where God's throne is. If you swear by earth, that's where God's footstool is. If you swear by uh, the particular, where was it, Jerusalem, that's where the capital is. If you swear by your own head, what good is that going to do you? He knows the hair on her head, and we can't number, but he does. So basically, as for swearing by your head, what good is it? Thou shalt not make one hair black or white, he said, or even keep one hair in your head. The basic principle is this. Christian character requires very few words. When I am suffering, God help me keep my mouth shut unless I'm giving praise to God. Now friend, this is easier said than done. 
All right? It's much easier said than done. Let your yea be yea, let your nay be nay. Because you begin to yap and complain and murmur. You know what? Murmuring is to Satan what praise is to God. And you look in the Old Testament when Miriam and Aaron didn't get their way, they began to murmur, 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 and got them in all kind of trouble. We are going to go through trials. We are going to go through tribulation. We are going through times of suffering. Are we going to curse God? Are we going to curse the darkness? Are we going to curse people? Are we going to make these oaths? I'm going to do this. I'm going to no. Let's keep our mouth shut and give God praise in the midst of it, not because of it, but in the midst of it. And if we maintain the right attitude, we will come through that. Jesus will be glorified. The devil will be defeated. We will be much stronger and perfected. And as a result, the blessings of God will be rich in ways that we will never be able to understand. One of the purposes of suffering is to build up character. Build up our character. Job was a better man for having gone through the furnace. Job was. When Peter poured out those oaths in the courtyard, remember what he did? He cursed Jesus. Three times he cursed. What did that say about his character? Think about this. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. Saw him perform miracles. Saw him raise the dead. Even Peter got out and walked on the water with Jesus. And right toward the end before Jesus died on the cross. Peter, Satan had desired to sift you as wheat, but I pray for you. Okay, thank you. Peter, before a cock crow, you deny me three times. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> you talking to Pete here. Hey, I, I'm the one who was with you up on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw the glory of God. I, I was with you over here, and I, I'm not me. You go talk to Judas and old Doubt and Thomas. I'm right here through thick and thin. You can depend on old Peter. And you remember when Jesus was arrested? Peter took out the sword, and he went after the guy's juggler vein and knocked off the man's ear. Peter, I'm right there with you. But all of a sudden, when Jesus was arrested, Peter followed from afar. That far got him in trouble. <laughs> F-I-R. He warmed himself around the devil's fire. Distance between them, he and Jesus. Are you one of his disciples? Never knew the man. Next thing you know, he's on fire. Because they come up and said, Surely you're with him, your speech betrays you. Not let me. And the third time he cursed. What did that say about Peter? Oh, he thought he had good Christian character. He thought he could endure anything, anywhere, anytime. But when you got in the devil's crowd, when he came under fire, when he warmed himself by the fire, he denied his Lord. That spoke about his character. Friend, God would rather have us have character than to be a character. Suffering will help us to endure to become what he wants to be. And let me tell you, when we are suffering and we are living the message, we are talking the message, we are proclaiming the message, we are sharing the message, that is power in the hands of God. But if we are murmuring and complaining and swearing and putting out oaths because of the, the suffering that we go through, that shows us there's still weakness in our character. I don't know about you, but I say, oh God, I need my character fixed. Come on. We all need people. We all need to be a people. Say, God, I want my character to be stronger than it's ever been before. Now, James wants to encourage us to be patient in time of suffering. Like the farmer, we're waiting on a spiritual harvest. Like the particular uh, prophets, we look for opportunity for witness and to share the truth of God. And like Job, 
we wait for the Lord to fulfill His powerful, loving purpose in our life, knowing He'll never cause His, you and me to suffer needlessly and will never be suffering endlessly either. Be patient, for the coming of the Lord draweth what? Nigh. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We sing an old song years ago, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase when we see Christ. Praise God. Like the farmer, like the farmer, let's continue to work in the midst of trials and tests. Like the prophets, let's continue to witness. We overcome daily by the word of our testimony and through the blood of the Lamb. And like Job, let's endure hardship as a good soldier. And let's endure. So James is saying in closing, be patient, long-suffering with people, with other people. And like the other word for endurance, patience is endurance, be endure during times of, of circumstances and times of sufferings in our life. God will help us. Would you stand?